Hello, I'm Dave Watts, and this is the Redundancy Podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to share the challenges of finding and keeping a job as an older worker. Today, I'm joined by two guests. Firstly, Professor Sarah Vickerstaff, talking to me from Kent University in the UK. Sarah was my guest in Podcast 36 in 2020, when we talked about the additional challenges older women face in the workplace. I also welcome her colleague, Dr. Mariska van der Horst, currently in Amsterdam. Mariska is Assistant Professor in the Department of Sociology at the VU Amsterdam in the Netherlands, as well as an Honorary Researcher at the University of Kent in the UK. We're going to talk about their report, also co-authored by Dr. Brian Beach, published earlier this year. It's called Enabling Age at Work, How Ageism and Ableism Overlap in the Workplace, or perhaps to put it another way, how stereotypes and assumptions might be stopping you being recruited or trained. Thank you both for joining me today. Yes, thanks for having us both. Perhaps we can start with you, Mariska. How does ageism manifest itself in the context of work? Ageism manifests itself in multiple ways at work. The first thing that most people probably think about is active discrimination. That actively says you cannot have this training, not this promotion, or not this job because of someone's age. But there are multiple other ways as well, such as internalized ageism that people have their own ideas, which is what our project is focusing uh, on more in which the stereotypes that do exist about older workers, such as that they would be less willing for training, less motivated, less healthy, or on the positive side, more reliable, for example, are internalized by people as well. And that informs their decisions then in the workplace. For example, well, maybe I shouldn't go for this promotion anymore. I'm too old for that these uh, type of narratives. Or if there are limited opportunities, maybe give it to the younger person. And it's a different version of the same thing. And those stereotypes is also existing in this culture in the workplace. So it's not only internalized, but also in interactions with people in the workplace. And employers also have these stereotypes. So there are many different ways in which ageism may affect people in the context of work. Is this a sort of cross-cultural thing in Britain we talk about or Sarah when I spoke to her originally came out with the phrase that you often hear well I'm a dinosaur I can't do that I'm too old for that do you find that for example in the Netherlands as well that a similar sort of reaction yes they're very similar narratives that I hear in the Netherlands versus the UK so that I hear as well that I'm too old to learn technology why (laughs) that's very similar narratives Thank you. Sarah, if I can go on to you, what are the potential impacts of ageism on access to training? Well, of course, as as Mariska's already said, there's the direct discrimination effects where managers may think, well, I could send one of these people for further training and development, or I'll send the younger one because perhaps the older one's close to to retirement and it's, it's not so valuable to give them the training. Or, of course, it could work the other way for younger people. This person's too young for that development opportunity. Because, of course, ageism isn't just against the old, it's also against uh, the young or anybody who are discriminated against on the basis of their age. 
so there's there's plenty of evidence that older workers get less training than, than younger workers and some of the explanation for that is is direct discrimination sometimes it's called an economic argument that older workers productivity is declining they're going down towards retirement so investing in them uh, brings less of a return than training a younger person but of course you have to look at that in the context of turnover rates and actually older employees tend to be more stable in terms of how long they're going to carry on staying with the organization than people at earlier points in their career when they might be moving around so one of the impacts of ageism has, has been known about for a long time that older workers are directly discriminated against. What our work has shown, as Mariska has already alluded to, is that that's an in, if we're going to deal with ageism and its impacts on training and access to training, then we have to sort of look at how norms about age are internalised by older workers themselves. So if older workers feel that they might struggle if they're offered training because perhaps they're not cognitively as quick as they used to be, or if it's IT-based, that because they're old, they're perhaps not going to get it. That if, if they're worrying and internalising those normative ideas about what older people can or cannot do then simply making an opportunity available might not be enough in the organizations that we've studied most people agree oh yes training's available to everybody it's no there's not direct discrimination against people people feel that opportunities are available but if i feel as an older worker that i deserve that opportunity less that it should be left for somebody younger, or I'm worried about my ability to do it, perhaps I'll sort of show myself up by not catching on quickly enough in the training situation, then the fact that the opportunity is available might not be enough. I might actually self-select out of volunteering or taking it up or, or pressing to get it because I, I sort of have have taken on board the stereotypes about being less competent than those younger than, than myself. So it's very, I mean, really the, the work we've done lately has been very much wanting to say, let's add in this understanding of internalised ageism. Because if we're going to do something about this, we have to understand it's not just direct discrimination. Thank you. Mariska, if we go back to you, you've mentioned these assumptions by employers, occupational health and assumptions about the capacity of older workers. What are the assumptions your research has identified? So it's not really just employers, it's everyone that we talked to. Well, everyone may be a bit of a too much, but a lot of people that we talked to, uh, there was a very strong decline narrative, so I refer to, that if you're older, it's inevitable your health will get worse. And it's just around to the corner and we need to think about that now. And from the employer's uh, side, how uh, where they talk a lot about people maybe staying in work with less health and what the consequences may be for their organization. It is from employees as well that, well... Maybe I should retire because I might uh, be in worse health soon. So I want to enjoy some good years of retirement. So let's retire now or the other way around. Let's stay in employment. 
because that may benefit my health or what are the consequences. So there's a lot of talk about, well, my health will get worse and I may either stay or leave because of that. And from employers as well, like, we need to think about what the consequences are of all of that. So there's a lot of these kind of narratives going on. I can see that. So, Sarah, why should employees worry or perhaps not worry about an ageing workforce? Well, certainly they should worry about an ageing workforce, but then one could say they should just worry a bit more about their workforces full stop. And one one aspect of that is is age. Um, There's been quite a lot of public policy encouraging, urging, nudging people to stay in work for longer. State pension ages are rising, not in the UK, but all, all over Europe, all over the world. So people can't get their state pensions when they used to be able to get them. We've got in this country, in the UK, no mandatory retirement age. So the, the idea of that is that I have the choice to carry on working if I, if I want to. So the workforce is ageing. And of course, in some sectors like local government, transport, that's more marked in others because some sectors don't attract young people as easily uh, as others. So employers are going to have an older profile of, of work and they're going to have people who are perhaps staying at work, not so much because they really, really want to, but because they've got to stay a couple more years to get their state pension. And they need to do that to, to be able to have some, some sort of comfortable retirement or something approaching a comfortable retirement. I mean, living on the state pension is not a comfortable retirement, but it's important for many people. So I think employers do need to worry about it. And if if they want an organisation that is productive, effective, is working as effectively as, as possible, then it needs to be thinking about the diversity and the diverse needs in its workforce, of which some things around age are, are one aspect and trying to make sure that they're creating conditions in which everybody in the workforce can work as effectively as possible. Now, we've shone a light in our work on the impacts of of ageism for older uh, workers, and that's very much in that context of extending working lives. But a lot of what we have to say will be just as applicable for disabled workers or In a sense, a lot of employment policy in organisations, a lot of management of people, sort of assumes that you're managing an ideal worker. And an ideal worker is sort of someone who's already been trained, um, knows what they're doing, is capable, isn't really hampered in any way by, by their life outside work, you know, they're fully able to come in and, and, and give of their, their, their sort of untrammeled best to, to, the, to the workplace. And a lot of policies sort of assume that's, as it were, what the workforce is. But of course, actually, most people don't live up to that and they don't live up to it for all kinds of reasons. It may be because they, are, they, they have impairments of various sorts, which means to give of their best, they need some adjustments and some uh, some support. Or it may be that they've got caring responsibilities, which mean that sometimes they turn up at work completely knackered, you know, because they've been up all night looking after their elderly mother or their children or whoever it might be. Or it might be older workers who are 
perhaps struggling with a with a health issue or finding some aspects of the work a bit more difficult. Think about nurses. As they get older, they do find some aspects of nursing work more, more difficult as they age, the, the lifting and the length of shifts and bouncing back from shifts and things. So a, a lot of what goes on in organisations is sort of rather blinkered and blind to the fact that most people are quite complicated. <laughs> most people come into the workplace with a package of other things going on. And, and older workers aren't peculiar in this respect. They're, they're, they're just like everybody else. So, yeah, employers should be, should be worrying about older workers, younger workers and the workers in between and managing them more effectively than they often do. Well, that sort of leads us in, I think, to the question, Mariska, how can businesses foster age-friendly work environments in which, in this case, older workers are valued for their skills and experience? By looking at the person, and uh, as Sarah was already talking about, leaving the idea of this ideal worker and looking at who do we have in our workforce and know that they come uh, with different things and ask them what they need to do their work. That there's this idea that it's very abstract job adverts, that it's disembodied. There's no body, it's just an abstract job that exists. And someone comes in and needs to fulfill this job. And then if that person leaves, then a completely different person may come in to do the exact same job. But it's a completely different person who has maybe different skills, different things, uh, different experiences, and they can add different things to a company. And by looking at where someone's strengths are and by bringing the body back into uh, work and looking at what is needed for this person to be the most value to the company, it's requires a bit of a shift in thinking about jobs and how they work together to get the organization what they need. And I think that would very much help because, as Sarah said, people of different ages have different things going on and isn't a specific age, this is happening, then that is happening, then that is happening, and we can plan for that in a very abstract way. It's looking at the workforce that you have and see what can we do and how can everyone be as happy as possible then within that work and be realistic about it as well because a lot of jobs are hard on the job or for mental uh, health uh, can be very stressful or it can be very physical. And that does have consequences for the body as well. And talking about it with the workforce and being realistic about it may give some suggestions about, okay, how can we make it easier? That for the nurse, for example, that uh, it may not be lifting or for cleaners uh, okay maybe some things are easier at certain times than other things uh, than other places and see what is possible and some of that informally is already happening and that's also something that we did find back in our interviews as well that there's sometimes uh, are these informal arrangements but at the same time there's also economic pressure that kind of make these easier parts less accessible there's a lot of productivity concerns around that and that everyone needs to be 100% and be this ideal worker all of the time and that may not be very realistic. Thank you. Sarah, what are the policy implications as a result of the research and what further role might governments take in pointing out the benefits of employing an older workforce or come to that? Is it even the role of governments to do that? 
Yeah, well, I think I think there is a role for government, if I start with that part of the question. I mean, I think we have the Equality Act, which requires employers to guard against direct and indirect discrimination and also to deal with victimisation and, and harassment. So we, we require employers to, to take notice of these uh, things. I mean, one of the problems with the Equality Act is that it doesn't quite allow us to look at issues of intersectionality, by which I mean that typically people are not just one thing. I'm an older female worker with a health condition, and I might be discriminated against because of that conjunction, not simply because I'm female or simply because of my age, but because of this conjunction of things. And the current legislation doesn't let Section 14 of the Equality Act kind of addresses combined discrimination, but it's not actually very useful, not very easy to, to affect and to use. So that's something that government could do is have another look at the Equality Act. Uh, I think beyond that, it's really trying to educate people in society, but also in work organisations, to take a more proactive approach to an inclusive environment. So it's not just don't you know, stop people discriminating. It's let us think about our attitudes to age and the impacts they might be having. Let us think about our attitudes to disability and the assumptions that we make if we see someone in a wheelchair and we think, oh, they won't be able to do X, Y, Z, without actually thinking about, well, perhaps they could actually if we did a range of things to enable them to, to do it. So I think in policy terms, we, we, we have quite a lot of training now, unconscious bias in the race space and in the gender space and LGBTQ plus as well. I think we could do with some of that in age, uh, I think, and, and disability. Sometimes it's a bit tick box and we want to avoid that. But I think that organisations and governments could encourage organisations to be a bit more proactive in training their, their managers and their employees to think about age and ableism and the impacts it might be having. And of course, what that would do is free up a lot of people who are experiencing that in the organisation to sort of feel okay uh, there's a space now for me to sort of say well actually if I could just have my desk placed somewhere else I wouldn't have some of the problems that I've currently got so I, I think there is a, a big job there and I think we need to dispel the myths about older workers because these discourage people I mean we may see post-covid people who've had a disruption to their employment, furloughed or maybe made redundant at older ages, sort of thinking, do you know what, I'm not going to get back into work now. The discouraged worker effect, as it's often referred to, maybe I won't even bother and maybe younger people deserve the opportunities more than, than me. So I think there's a lot, and of course, the COVID situation itself inspired a lot of ageist talk poor old people 70 plus all need to be sort of shut away so that they, they, they're kept safe and even people sort of coming and saying well if it comes to, to limiting vaccines it should go to someone young so it, there's been a lot of kind of ageism around covid which has reinforced all the things we've talked about so so far so 
I think we really have a big job to dispel myths about age stereotypes. And that way we start to empower people to sort of think, oh, no, I'm, I'm 62 or whatever it is. And I do want to get back to work. I do want to, I do want to carry on making a contribution in, in the work setting or indeed in a voluntary set, situation or, or whatever. So I can, I, I'm never short of things that I feel people should do. <laughs> Thank you. Mariska, fascinating research. Where does it go from here? What do you do next? Multiple things to do still. There's still a lot of things that we want to look at. Um, so we looked partly in this project to what degree is are things about age and is it really ageism? And to what degree is it more ableism? Because a lot has to do with health about uh, older workers. And we're still working on a couple of papers around that. And we uh, may also want to look a bit more in nuanced gender differences uh, in that and see a better change a bit over time. So there are things that Sarah and I are still talking about. And I also started a new project looking at supporting healthy aging at work. And that looks at a bit more hidden health aspects and what is needed around uh, that. And a lot uh, is to do about that as well. So that's with a big group of people that we started this new project uh, to look at. So much more to do about this. So I can tell. Sarah, it's been a real pleasure talking to you yet again. And Mariska as well. Thank you very much for your time, both of you today. It's been absolutely fascinating. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening the whole way through. If you like the podcast, click on the subscribe button and listen to the advice from all my guests. I'll be back in a few weeks' time and my contact details follow next. You can make contact with me via my website, theredundancypodcast.com, which has a synopsis of this and all the podcast's main points by emailing me at theredundancypodcast at gmail.com or via Twitter with the hashtag at redundancypcast.com.